Can I, can I say good morning again and welcome to True North Church. Good morning. Hey, there it is. My name's Phil. I'm one of the, the pastors here at True North Church. And it's a, it's a great privilege to, to come, uh, I guess, come together today as we focus on God's Word and beginning a brand new series called Real. Someone say Real. That's the name of our series. Someone say it again. Say Real. Real, and it's like real as in authentic, not like a, a fishing reel. It's a, I know, was anyone else thinking that? As soon as the, Jeff was, he was just doing the thing. But we're talking about, talking about what it means to be real. Now, now, something that each and every one of us is drawn to is the authentic, right? We, we like things in our lives that are the real deal, that are genuine. We like genuine relationships, genuine friendships, genuine experiences, real moments that actually matter. But the challenging thing in life that, that most of us have realized up to this point, though, even though we have this heart to experience things that are genuine, right alongside the things that are genuine are things that are not genuine, right? They're right alongside truth, there is false. They're, they're right alongside reality, there is fiction. They're right alongside the things that are genuine and authentic, there is the inauthentic. And one of the things that, that we learn to discern as we're living our lives is to be able to distinguish between what is authentic and what is not. And we've all had experiences in these, in mom- in these kind of moments and spaces. Maybe you're buying something online and you think, this is the real deal. This price seems too good to be true. And then it gets shipped to your house and you're like, oh man, I got myself a Chicago Bills hat. (laughs) Anyone had an experience like that? The inauthentic, we we see it in products, we see it all the time. Cheap knockoffs of the genuine article. We see it in all walks of life. Did you know that Facebook reports that at the very minimum, there are 65 million fake accounts? How crazy is that? 65 million fake people on Facebook that are not actually a person. Is that crazy to anyone else? You're like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to delete Facebook. This is too much. They even we see it in things like Twitter. For any Twitter fans out there, when you see celebrities that, that most of them feel the need to have the, the real Michelle Gomans in front of it. Because there's a whole lot of pretenders trying to pretend to be Michelle Gomans and other celebrities in our world. How good is Pastor Michelle, by the way? Can we thank Pastor Michelle? She does a great job here. One of my uh, all-time favorite campus pastors at True North Church does a fantastic job. But, but we, see it, we see it in all these different spaces. One of the, the really funny spaces that we see this is in news, right? That, that as we're reading newspaper articles or things on our news feed in Facebook or whatever it might be, you'll see things that at first appear to be telling a true story, but in reality, they're not at all. Can, can, we, throw, can we throw that newspaper article up on the up on the screens. Have we got that? Check out any Beyonce fans here this morning? None. I find that hard to believe. Yeah, we've got some honest hands. There is one Beyonce fan in the building. I believe that is a genuine lie. There's got to be more. Do I need to do the dance? I can't do the dance. But, but check this out. Now, if you don't know Beyonce, she's more there than just a superstar entertainer. She is a good person. And here's the proof. Check it out. This is a side of Beyonce the internet does not show you. Anyone read an article that starts something like that? When she was young, she saw this young boy crying along the road. That's really sad. And she asked him if he was okay, and the boy said, it's my birthday, and I want to buy a Darth Vader toy, as many of us boys do. But I don't have any money. And Beyonce gave him $100. How good is Beyonce? She's like genuine. She's the real deal. 
And she's told the boy, don't be sad anymore, follow your dreams. And believe it or not, that boy grew up to be George Lucas. <laughs> now, if that's not instantly fake to you, let me tell you some problems with this article. Number one, I, I figure George Lucas is, what, 20 years older than Beyonce at least? He grew up to create Star Wars, which Darth Vader is a central character within, yet Beyonce gave him $100 to buy a Darth Vader toy when he was a child that he was going to grow up to create. Uh, and look, this, is a, this is just a fun, funny kind of article. But, but there's a lot of truth in the satire of this article, and the reason it was written is because there is inauthentic everywhere we look. And of course, we then have the challenge as the church to decide what does it mean and how do we demonstrate, how do we communicate what it means to be authentic in the way we pursue our faith, what it means to be real in the way that we follow Jesus, the story that we all got around last week at Easter, the gospel, what does it mean to be genuine in our heart, in our desire, in our authenticity to follow Jesus? You know, that question is, is at the, the heartbeat of this series that we're going to be following for the next five weeks. I'm really looking forward to this as we lean into this idea of real. If you're, if you're in a connect group as well, we're going to have resources going out each Monday after the Sunday so you can follow this in your groups and it's going to be a great time for the next five weeks. And what we're actually going to be doing is leaning into uh, a letter written by John, one of the disciples called First John. There's three little Johns uh, towards the end of the Bible, one John two John, and of course, three, three John. <laughs> and we're going to be looking at first John over the next five weeks and the five chapters we find within. And the thing that I love about this letter, the thing that I love about this book in the New Testament is that John primarily speaks into what it means to be authentic as a follower of Jesus. And we're going to begin with that. We're going to begin with that this morning. We're going to head straight into Scripture and go to 1 John 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. There's a lot of ones there, right? It's like 1 John 1, 1, 1. 1, 1, 1, 1, 1. Verse 1. And here we go. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The disciple John, who lived with Jesus, who ministered with Jesus, declares and proclaims that he is God. He always was, yet he stepped into our world. We've seen him, we've heard him, we've touched him, we've experienced him. And he goes on in verse 2, the life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, Jesus, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. Now, this is how John begins his letter, with almost this just concentrated dose of reality of who Jesus is, who Jesus is as the living, resurrected King. And he speaks and he writes this letter into a particular context and on a particular occasion, where, where now, a few decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the church begins to wrestle with who, who Jesus really was and what it means to follow Him in a real way. And a Alongside the truth of the gospel, there were things that were starting to be mixed into the gospel as well that were not true. 
they started to develop some strange ideas about who Jesus was. That maybe Jesus was never actually a human. That he just appeared to be human, but he was actually the divine son of God. That he was never actually a man. Or maybe that, that human Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, as his, at his baptism, the Spirit of Christ came upon him and then left him at his death upon the cross. Now, there are a couple of problems with both of these ideas because the reality was for the story of Jesus to work, for the gospel to work and to make sense, it required God to empty himself of his divine power and become exactly like me, exactly like you, so he could pay the price for our sin on our behalf. That's how the gospel works. That's the story of Jesus. So the way that they were thinking and seeing Jesus was off the mark and actually emptied the gospel of its power. And so John writes by clarifying, this is who Jesus really is. And if we're going to be genuine followers of Jesus, if we're going to be real followers, it starts with a real picture of who, who Jesus is. Real followers start with an understanding of the real Jesus. And I love how John writes around this. And it all comes down to this idea that this is who Jesus is. This is what he has done on our behalf so that we could have connection with, friendship with, relationship with God the Father, who is light. No darkness in him at all. You know what John's saying when he's speaking about God? He's saying he is the realest deal you've ever seen. There is not an ounce of darkness within God and who He is. He is God. In the Old Testament, God introduces Himself as the I Am. I am the great I Am. I simply am. That God always has been, that God is today, that God always will be unchanging, completely holy, completely righteous, completely God. The most genuine, authentic, real thing in our entire universe, which, by the way, he created. That's who God is. But I love the picture of light that John introduces here, because the idea that follows is that God, as the God of light, unchanging, completely uncorruptible, in his nature, will illuminate darkness wherever it is, will bring the things that are in darkness into the light, to bring clarity where there's doubt, to bring truth where there's doubt, to bring what is real and authentic out of a sea of ambiguity. The God in His nature is light. So then we can ask the question, if we're going to be real followers of Jesus, and in following Jesus, we walk into this God of light because of what He's done on our behalf upon the cross, the question for us becomes, what then does it mean for us if we're going to follow the God who is light? What does that mean for each one of us and the way we live our lives and the way we live out our faith? Let's see how John continues in verse 6. <clears throat> if we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, any DC Talk fans? Some of you, come on, in your early 30s, something like that, you're like, yep, I know that song. I want to shine like the stars in the heaven. You know it? No, you guys don't know it. That's right, I, I enjoy embarrassing myself as well. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's good. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's awesome. That when we walk in the light as he is in the light, everything that is darkness within me is brought into the light and through the sun is purified and redeemed as if it was never there. How cool is that? That's our gospel. That's our faith in Christ. Now, there's something so important about why John gives this idea in Scripture. Now, at the time, the, the believers that, that were gathering and doing their very best to follow Christ, uh, I've already mentioned they had some, some mixed up ideas about who Jesus was. And, and they also had some mixed ideas about what it meant to follow Him. And during this time, a couple of decades after the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, an idea, a philosophy, it, it was actually a heresy, meaning it was against what Jesus taught, crept into the church. And it was this, uh, something called Gnosticism. And basically, it was this idea, I know it's a, it's a weird word, but, but this was the idea and this was the belief that was forming within the church, that the body, the body, anything physical, it was evil. It was sinful. It wasn't good. But the spirit contained within the body, that was good. That was like God. Now, because of that, they developed this thought process and this understanding that once we had attained this special knowledge about salvation, that the Spirit was good, that Jesus had redeemed the Spirit, once a special few had been illuminated enough in their minds, and they had this understanding, this knowledge of salvation, that their spirit was secure, and because the body in its nature was evil, it didn't matter what I, what I did with it. So my body, it's, it's bad no matter what. Whether I do good things, whether I do bad things, ultimately, it's still not good. And basically, what they've developed is a really fancy way of saying, I'm going to follow Christ, but I'm not going to let it shape my behavior in any way. Right? Like, you guys think you're so clever. You come up with this fancy philosophy, got these fancy big words, but really all you're doing is saying, I'm going to eat my cake and have it too. I'm going to follow Jesus, my salvation's secured, but you know what? I've developed such a great understanding that it doesn't even matter how I live my life. Wow, you got it all together, don't you? This is what they arrived at. And so John combats that by saying, no, we need to walk in the light as he is in the light. You can't choose to live in the light yet walk on a path of darkness, which is exactly what they were attempting to do. He says, no, walk in the light. That word walk is a word of action every step in every moment. Walk in accordance with the light of God shining into your life, revealing darkness for darkness and allow it to be redeemed by Christ. To be a real follower of Jesus means walking in the light. And real followers, they're not just aware of the light. They don't just know that it's nearby, but they walk in the light. Anyone else a fan of great outdoor entertaining areas? Anyone? Is this going to go down like that Beyonce question? Like, no, I hate Beyonce and I hate outdoor entertainers. Yeah. 
Now, I, I love a good outdoor entertaining area, usually, you know, coupled by some kind of awesome meat product, a barbecue, something like that. And, and in, partic- in particular, I love a good deck. How good are decks, right? Just like a nicely stained, you know, beautiful timber deck in the outside area. For me, that's like one of my favorite things. And I love spending time in spaces like that. Now, now let's imagine that, that me, as a, as a lover of outdoor entertaining areas, and in particular, you know, nice timber decks, Anyone else a Timber Deck fan? I feel like I'm, you know, everyone just hate, you know, doesn't like anything this morning. It's like, the only thing you guys like is Pastor Michelle. It's like, <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> but, but anyway, let's say that, that now I, I'm really inspired about decks. And, and I have a conversation with some friends that are carpenters that actually know how to do this. And, and I'm trying to learn from them what are the first steps in building a deck. Because I can, I can build a deck at my house. How good would that be? And, and I start having some conversations. I start watching some instructional videos on YouTube. Uh, maybe get some books. Maybe get some magazines. Start learning what's going to be required for me to build this deck at my own home. And then maybe I learn that, that I need a certain set of tools that I don't have. So like right off to bunny. I'm going to go buy all the tools that I need. I've got them in my garage. I'm ready to go. I've got all the tools that I need. I've got the knowledge that I need. I, I start thinking about timber. I go and buy the wood that I need. I put it all in my garage. I buy the stain that I want. I buy everything that I need to build that deck. I've got all the knowledge to get it done. This isn't true, by the way. But I've got all the knowledge to get it done. I've got all the resources to finish the job. But then I never build the deck. Never do it. Got all the stuff in the garage, look at it, I'm like, oh, no, I'm just not going to do that. It's pretty hard work. And in a lot of ways, it's a funny reality of how a lot of us are in life. But here's the thing, and here's what John is pointing at through this passage of Scripture, that when we don't walk in the light, when we have a knowledge of the light, it's like having an intention that never translates into action. It's like being aware of salvation, being aware of Jesus, and intentionally or not, choosing to not allow it to affect the way we live our lives in any way. To say, I've got the understanding. I've got the knowledge of who Jesus is, the knowledge of my salvation. I've even got the resource to live a life following after Christ with His Spirit alive in me. But I don't do it. The intention never translates to action. But real followers walk every step, knowing each footprint on the path matters. So what does this mean for us? I kind of hear this and I reflect this passage of Scripture, and I think to myself, okay, does this mean that, that every step in my walk of faith has to be perfect? Is that what, what's being said? It kind of feels like that. that. That to walk in the light means every step matters. Every decision matters. Every moment matters. I've got to get this right. If I'm going to be genuine in who I am as a follower of Jesus, I can't make mistakes. Now, fortunately for me, that isn't true. And we'll continue with John. In verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, if we think that we're perfect, if we think that every step we're getting it right, guess what? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know, I find that verse actually quite relieving. (laughs) Like, okay, good, I don't have to be perfect. 
But rather in verse 9, if we confess our sins and underscore that word confess in your reading, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, our shortcomings, falling short of who God intends us to be and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, if we think that we're perfect, that we get every step right, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So now we move into this conversation of sin. And I said it even as we were reading through the, the verse there. Sometimes sin can have these loaded connotations to it that were just like, ooh, I don't want to talk about that. But you know, this one, can we normalize the reality that each one of us comes up short sometimes? And that's all sin is. It's a word just describing the fact that God has a perfect picture for our world. God has a, has a picture of holiness for our world, for who each one of us is. But the reality is we can't live it out because we're not like God, which is why God became like us to redeem us on our behalf in Jesus. Praise God. That we're not like God, that we do fall short. That there is sin, brokenness in each one of our lives. Now, once we come to that reality, we basically got two options. The first is we can apply a lens of legalism. And if you don't know what legalism is, it's basically saying, now everything I do, I've got to get it right, because if I don't get it right, I'm not going to measure up to who God is and I'm going to be in trouble. Every step has to be perfect because that's God's will for my life. And if I don't measure up, I, I'm out of friendship with God. If I'm not good enough... I'm out of friendship, I'm out of the light, I'm living my life in darkness, it's going to be terrible. That's one response that can sometimes subtly shape our heart towards the shortcomings in our life. The other response we've all already talked about a little bit this morning, and that's license, to say, you know what, His grace is sufficient, His grace is enough, it doesn't matter what I do, Jesus will redeem me. Well, now this is a tricky one. Because in one sense, that statement is entirely accurate. That no matter what darkness is in my heart, no matter what sin is in my heart, Jesus has knelt down to that which is least within me to redeem me, to live in the light as He is in the light. That is true. But to genuinely, authentically follow Jesus, it's not just about having a license that says His grace is enough so I can live my life however I want. That's the starting revelation of the, 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 the amazing grace and the story of the gospel. But real followers walk step by step after Jesus. Real followers follow the real Jesus through authentic confession. Through authentic confession. You know, I love this word confession because really all it is is a choice to become real. Have you ever thought about it like that? The confession is actually just being real about who we are. That we're not perfect, not even close. That we come up short in all these spaces in all these different ways. Confession is an action of being real to who we actually are. You know, I love, uh, actually before I go there, let, let, me, let me ask another question. I, I know the, the response has been somewhat limited, but... <laughs> But actually, speaking of confession, this, this is, is in fact probably more like a confession. And I've got to put this out there for any staff team at True North that may have dealt with the ramifications of this. 
this may be a revealing moment. Um, I don't think it would be anyone here, though. I have just seen that my wife's in here as well, also making this a far more genuine moment of confession. So a few weeks ago, my beautiful wife uh, made, uh, made one of her wonderful casseroles. It's like this awesome meal. And she prepared it for me, and there was enough left over so I could take it to lunch the next day. How good is that? Now, usually I forget my lunch. Anyone got like a, a spouse, husband, or wife that you make lunch for, and they constantly forget it? Yeah, good. I see some finger pointing going on. <laughs> now, now, that's me. But this particular day, I remembered to take my lunch. It was awesome. Took my lunch to work, and I was like, yes. Beef casserole, 12 o'clock today, maybe 11.30, see how we're going. But then Sunday came up, and I forgot about it. Forgot about my beef casserole. Anyone been there? And then the next day, I was like, oh, that's okay. I've got that beef casserole. Uh, I'll eat that for lunch the next day. And I looked at it, I thought, oh, that beef casserole looks pretty good, but uh, I won't have it for lunch today. Then another two days went past, and I looked at it again, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's still good. Uh, just close the fridge and continue on with your day. Then something like two more weeks went by. I hadn't thought about it for a while. And then it clicked. I was like, oh, man, I left that lunch in the fridge. That's going to be disgusting. Then I got to the fridge and I saw my Tupperware washed clean on the side of the sink. Was that you, Michelle? It seems like something... Actually, actually, it probably was Fiona. Is she in the room? Hopefully not. She's backstage. Hopefully she can't hear my voice. Or hopefully she can. Fiona, if that was you, I apologize. It was wrong. Did she stick her head out? Good. I was like, now I'm nervous. It's like the conviction of the Holy Spirit <laughs> slash, slash Fiona Jones. But, but suddenly when we leave food like that too long in a fridge, what happens? The odor takes over the whole fridge, right? And you ever had that experience when you, you like pour a glass of water from the jug and somehow the water has the taste of that food? Is that just me? Is that something going on in my mind? But, but the reality is that, that that scent of that thing that's just hovering in the fridge takes over the whole place. Now, sometimes that can be the product of our souls when we live our lives without the practice of confession. That things stay within us, coloring everything in the inner place of our lives. That we look at and we think, oh, that's not good. That's kind of funky. And I need to do something about that. And when I say funky, I mean as in like the bad smell funky, not the kind of kind of funk, funky. It's kind of funky. You're like, oh, I need to deal with that. I need to, I need to get that out. I need to handle that. I need to take it out. I need to clean it because it's coloring a whole bunch of things within me in a way that's not good. Confession is how we do that. You know, I was reading a really cool, a really cool book this, this week by a guy named Norman Grubb. How cool is that name? He sounds like a real intellectual. <laughs> but, but Norman Grubb, and he writes, uh, he's write a lot of, written a lot of great books. One of them is called Continual Revival, and he talks about confession. And he talks about the reality that confession in the life of an authentic believer needs to exist in two spaces. One is in a vertical space between me and my Savior. Confession between myself and the God who is light. That when I have connection with the God who is light, He reveals things in my life that are darkness. And in His light, I as well can see them as darkness and do something about it. And pray a prayer and say, Jesus, that self-centeredness in me, that moment of snapping in me, that's not of you. That's not who I want to be. 
Help me to grow in that space. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. There's that vertical reality of confession before God. But then there's another reality of confession that is equally powerful and transformative in our lives. And that's horizontal confession with one another, from person to person. And he talks about these two spaces, the need for vertical confession and horizontal confession. Now, I want you to, for a, for a moment, imagine that you are in the center of that picture of confession, horizontal confession, vertical confession. And here's how, how Norman Grubb describes our natural inclination in this space, is that as we stand in the center of that flow, we like to build a house around ourselves. We like to build walls up that protect others around us from seeing that which is least within us. It's pretty natural, right? We don't like people to see the genuine things within us that are not good. It's the most normal thing in the world. But then the other thing we do as we follow God is sometimes we like to build a roof on top of those walls as well and keep God separate from the darkness that, was in, that is within us. And so in that sense, when unconfessed things within our soul stay where they are, we put walls up so that those around us can't see what's really going on. We attempt to put a roof up and still praise God and live in the light while knowing that we're walking on a path of darkness. Now, the first step is blowing the roof off. And saying, God, I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I know that doesn't mean being perfect, but I know from your word that it does mean being real about who I am with you, being real about the reality that there is darkness in me, and I need the God who is unchanging light to redeem through the sun the darkness that I find in my soul. And we do that step by step, moment by moment, never arriving at perfection, but every step of the journey, living with a heart of authentic confession before God. But here's the problem. Vertical confession sometimes lacks a transformative catalyst in our lives for change. Have you ever experienced that? As you're praying through things with God, and maybe it's the same thing again and again, and it's the same thing, God, I just, I keep struggling in this area, I keep losing my temper, I keep doing this thing that I don't want to keep doing. You know, the thing that is a catalyst for change is not always just lifting the roof off, but breaking the walls down, and actually confessing one to another. And when we do that, that is a catalyst for transformation within our souls. But it's the thing we like to do least in the entire world. Because though, although we love what is genuine and authentic, although we're drawn to what is real all around us, so often the last thing that we want to do is be real and genuine with who we actually are to those that are around us. Because we'd rather be fake and look better than be real and look as we are. But can I tell you, real is always better than fake. We know it in every other arena of our lives, but somehow we pretend that if we apply the reverse in our own experience, somehow it's going to be better. To take the roof off, to blow the walls out, to be honest with God, to be honest with one another. You know, real followers walk in the light with God and others. 
embracing confession in both of those spaces. Can I finish with giving you a couple of thoughts about how this might play out in your life? You know, I think one of the most powerful places where we can begin with a new heart of confession is in our households. With your husband, with your wife, with your roommate, with your children, with your parents. You know, one of the things I find myself doing a lot in my home is when I say something I regret or I'm a little bit short or I'm a little bit snappy or whatever it might be, I'll say something like this, I'm sorry, I just, I'm just really tired. I shouldn't have said that. Now, what that's doing, it's, it's apologizing, which is nice, but it's also pointing towards an excuse. Again, the most normal thing to do in the world. And, and, and really, this whole conversation, I just want to normalize the reality that we've all got some room to grow, right? <laughs> Me first among anyone here. That, that we say, sorry, I just, I, I'm not sleeping enough, or sorry, work was really hard, or, or sorry, blah, 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 blah. What we need to start doing instead of saying, and for me, saying, sorry, I'm just really tired, saying, sorry, I'm self-centered, self-focused, and I want to get better at thinking about you. That's the difference between confession, being genuine about what God reveals in us. See the difference between those two things? When was the last time you had a conversation like that with someone that you love? This is the reality of what just happened in my heart. I'm going to call it out for what it was. That is authentic faith. That is following Jesus in a real way, being real about who we actually are. Not like, yeah, I've got salvation. Jesus is alive, living in me. I'm going to be a jerk. but to say, no, this is the reality of the condition of my life. Jesus redeems me every new day. But this darkness I see within me through the light, that is God, that's not okay. And you need to know that I know it's not okay. And I want to grow in that. Could that be a space where we first apply what it means to be people of confession? You know, another thing that you can do in the, the context of our, our church community and so much of what John writes about here is fellowship with one another, fellowship with Jesus, is, is that we have something called journey groups. Some of you perhaps are, are in journey groups. And, and if, you, if you haven't heard about those already, it's a space like a connect group but smaller with, with two or three. And, and you may be in a journey group, you may be doing different things, but can I encourage you, that journey group is the ideal space to practice confession. To say, you know what? Alan, I was really selfish this week. Uh, I was short with my wife for no other reason than my own insecurity, my own self-focus. And I want you to know that it's not okay. Now, here's something really cool as a bonus when we do that. You know, so much of the power of being a Christian flows from proclaiming who Christ is. You know what actually happens within us when we proclaim who Jesus is? That our own spirit rises up and testifies to the spirit that is within us, the spirit of Jesus. That when we proclaim Christ, our spirit is in alignment with his spirit and something happens within us. Now, through confession, do you know what we're actually doing? We're actually proclaiming the grace of God and the light of God in my darkness. 
so that when I confess to Alan about the darkness that is in within me, what my spirit is actually doing within me is testify to the goodness of Jesus who has redeemed me from the very same thing that I confess. And then my spirit testifies with his spirit. Can I encourage you? Maybe for you it's not a journey group. Maybe for you it's a key friendship that you have. You're like, there, there's someone that I know gets this. And maybe it's time to just get intentional and say, hey, can we start doing this? Can we start speaking in a real way? Can I, can I, for the first time, be real with you about who I actually am? And I'll just put on a front that looks pretty cool. Let's be real. Let's practice confession. It is the most authentic picture of what following Jesus is. Not perfection, not a license to do whatever we want, but with a genuine heart to say, this is who I am. This is my battle. This is my struggle. Jesus, I'm bringing it before you. I'm bringing it before others because I want to see change in my life. Each step shaped by who you are. You know, one final thing that you could do this morning, we're, we're going to sing uh, we're gonna sing another awesome song in just a moment. In fact, I could, could I invite the team to come back wherever they are? I'm not sure where they emerge from here at our Merrill campus. Why? Um, but before we finish, um, Fiona, it was you. I'm sorry. It was selfish. I, I knew it was her. We had a similar experience like a month before where we cleaned out someone else's. I'm like, I've done it to her again. I was actually kind of hoping it was Michelle that cleaned it. To <laughs> uh, practice confession. One other thing that you could do even this morning, if you're like, yep, I can find that friendship. I can do that in time, maybe sometime this week. But you might actually be here right now and you're like, I need to do this now. I need to do this right now. Maybe in this next song, it's taking a moment to say, God, this is what I see within me. Let's blow the roof off, right? Say, Jesus, I need to bring this out of who I am and to you. But then also you might be here and you're like, yep, I've done that. Done that 50 times with the same thing. It's time to break the walls down as well. I want to give you two thoughts. There's maybe someone here that you know that you trust. It's really important. Don't just grab someone you don't know say, can I confess something to you? Something that Christ needs to redeem me from. One other option uh, is to come either during this song or after the service. Speak to Ryan. That's not Ryan. Hey, Charlie. Speak to Pastor Ryan or Pastor Michelle. Is that okay? And to share a moment and say, look, this is the reality of what I'm dealing with. Maybe you're here and you're a dude, go see Pastor Ryan. If you're a girl, go see Pastor Michelle. Or you can see me as well. I'll be here. Let's lean into confession. Can I pray for us this morning? Let's stand up together.